0: great to worship with you all this morning if you have your bibles please turn with me to mark chapter 8 verse 34 and if we haven't met yet my name is Chuni, and i am one of the pastoral interns as well as youth director here at cornerstone um you wonder why ben gave that clarification i plan on texting pastor andrew today at 1201 a.m but it's it's hard to believe that we're already at the end of the sabbatical and so um, here I am to close it up, um, to prepare the way for Pastor Andrew's comeback. Um, so if you are able, please stand with me as we um, read God's word. We stand in reverence, um, for it is God's inerrant and infallible word. From Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord may forever. You may be seated. And would you pray with me now? Father in heaven, we thank you that you have set apart this day for us to not only rest, but also for us to come together as a church to worship your holy name. Lord, as we now come and sit under your preaching, under the preaching of your word, oh Lord, would you open our hearts and our ears to hear the good news for which you have prepared for us. Lord, would you be with me and the words of my mouth, that they would not be words from my own heart and from my own brain, but oh God, that they would be spirit-empowered words, that they would sit well on fertile soil, on the fertile soil of our hearts, Lord, as we open your word today, may we truly taste and see that, oh God, you are good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you guys remember who your first social media followers were? Well, in 2010, I created an account um, on this brand new app called Instagram. It had been out only for a few months now, and so um, I decided to get it to be one of the cool people to do it first. And after a few days of playing around with it, um, I I got bored of it. Instagram was nothing like what it is now. Um, There were no such thing as stories or anything like that. And I quickly forgot that I had even created the account in the first place. A few months later, though, um, I kept getting emails that people were following me on this thing called Instagram. And not remembering that I had created this account on this brand new app, and uh, being a paranoid teenager, being a paranoid high school student, I panicked because I thought that someone had put my information on the internet and that there were people following and stalking me. I don't remember who these people were, but these were my first ever Instagram social media followers. You see, today the word follow has become such a common place in our vocabulary. It's everywhere. We use it in in all sorts of speech. We follow people on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, you name it. You follow and unfollow people all the time. It's become such a commonplace in our vernacular today. But in biblical times, following someone was actually a much bigger deal than it is today. You see, to follow someone meant a life of commitment, dedication, and devotion. To follow someone was to be wholly dedicated to the same mission as the person who you were following. Imagine that. Imagine someone told you that that celebrity that you followed on Instagram, you had to follow him, committed to your life to him. You have to dedicate your life to the same mission as this person. You would say that's crazy. But you see in biblical times, the thought, the idea of following someone, this is what this meant. And in our passage this morning, what Jesus does is he brings this concept of following someone, of being someone's disciple to a whole nother level. One in which eternal life and salvation are on the line. And you see this call that Jesus makes to follow him, is not simply made to just specific people, to those who are more special or more particular. Maybe you think that this call is for special super Christians. Maybe you think it's only for pastors or seminarians or church leaders, deacons and elders. Maybe you think that this call isn't for me. But you see following Christ actually is the most foundational and fundamental and basic call of the Christian. You see Christianity is not simply about being a good church member, although that is important but it's about following Jesus for every professing Christian. If you call yourself a Christian, you are called to be a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus. And so our passage this morning highlights this very, very important and crucial question for us. What does it look like to follow Jesus? If it's so important for us to follow him, what does it look like? What is required of one who claims to be a follower of Jesus? Our passage this morning finds us on the heels of Jesus foretelling his eventual death and resurrection. Verse 31 a few verses before our passage today tells us, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. What Jesus is doing here is he's making it clear that those who are following him that his, eventual death would, that his eventual end would be death. He wasn't coming to take over as king. He wasn't coming to start a revolution, but instead his was the path to death. And as he makes this known to his followers and to those who follow after him, he also makes a clear warning that all who declare themselves to be his follower To be his disciple disciple, would face the same scorn, the same rejection, and the same suffering that he himself, that Jesus himself would be facing as he went to his death. And so this morning, our main point of meditation that I think this passage seeks to point us to is this. It's very simple. The cost of following Jesus is great. The cost of following Jesus is great. And we see this great cost in the three requirements, the three requirements that Jesus gives to his disciples and also now to us. First is you must deny yourself. Second, you must take up your cross. And third, you must follow him. The first requirement, you must deny yourself. Today, we live in in an era in a culture where more than ever, it's all about self. You see, our culture today is all about self-acceptance, self-fulfillment. And the message of the world is to do whatever you can, do whatever you need to, in order to make yourself feel good. You can buy whatever you need. You can use whoever you need to use. Step on whoever you need to step on. Do whatever it takes to make yourself feel good. You put yourself over anything and anyone else, because that's what ultimately matters most, isn't it? And so in a culture that's all about self and all about self-fulfillment, how do we fulfill this call to deny ourselves? What does it mean to deny yourself? You see, what it isn't is it's not a call to self-hatred. It's not a call to self-rejection. I'm not standing here and advocating for you all to go and hate yourselves. And I don't think that's what Jesus is telling his disciples to do here either. Rather, the call to self-denial is instead a call to give up our own rights. It's, to, it's a call to give up our own right to run your own life and instead place Christ and his ways and his glory above your own. See, essentially, when you deny yourself, you replace your own self-will and you replace it with the will of God. And so you must deny your own wants and your own desires, your own ambitions even, and place them under the lordship of Christ. And as a result, your will becomes his will. Your plans, his plans. Your wants become what he wants for you. For when you deny yourself, you give up and you relinquish all control of your life to Christ. For the throne, for on the throne of your heart, yourself leaves. And instead, Christ now sits upon it. For you are no longer the master of your own life. But Jesus is your Lord and your master. But you see, this goes against everything that is natural to you. It strikes right at the heart of your existence because the one thing that we as human beings, that we strive for, that we value, that we want to protect with all of our lives is this, it's, we want to protect the right to make the ultimate decisions for ourselves. We refuse to be under anything or under anyone, but instead we reserve that right. We reserve the right to make final decisions for our own lives. ourselves and so your natural instinct is to place you first to focus on your happiness and your comfort and yet Jesus comes along and says this if you want to follow me you must disown yourself you must give up the right to control your life and you must give up all control to me to deny yourself then is to choose and pursue eternal spiritual fulfillment in Christ over the temporary and physical fulfillment of the world. Have you guys ever been on a diet before? Well, I've tried and failed many, many times to go on a diet. I've tried all kinds of things. I've tried going vegetarian that lasted me uh, like a week. I tried intermittent fasting where you eat a certain amount of time. You eat whatever you want, and then you don't eat for a certain period of time. That lasted me a little longer, uh, maybe about two weeks or so. Um, And then I've I've also tried cutting out all junk food, no soda, no chips, whatever. That lasted me six hours. And, you know, we may diet for our own personal reasons. But when you go on a diet, you are exercising self-denial in a way. Because when you're on a diet, there's a part of you, there's a part of yourself that says, no, it's okay, you can eat that 10th donut. And you have to fight the urge and deny that part of yourself. And you have to listen to the other part of yourself that says, no, don't finish that whole box. You're going to have a stomachache. Step away from the dessert, go grab a vegetable. You see, this in a way is an exercise in self-denial. And why do we do this? Why do we go through the pain and suffering of not eating what we want? It's because when we're on a diet, we know that the reward of leading a healthy and happy life and perhaps losing a little bit of weight is actually much better than the temporary, but amazing and sweet taste of that last donut. See, in the same way that that principle is applied to this call to deny yourself, because when you deny yourself, what you're seeing is that the reward of following Jesus, the reward of following him is far better and far sweeter and far greater than anything that this world has to offer me. Any amount of popularity, any amount of fame, any amount of riches— pales in comparison to the reward of following Jesus. And so the follower of Jesus must deny himself. You must deny yourself and choose Jesus. And he must sit on the throne of your heart. That's the first requirement that Jesus commands. The second requirement that he commands is this. You must take up your cross. You see today we see the cross everywhere. We see it when we go into people's homes. You see it when we go into church and there's a big cross hanging up. You may, some of you may even be wearing it on your necks right now. But when Jesus is saying these words to his disciples, when he tells his disciples to take up his cross, this surely would not have been the case. You wouldn't see figures of the cross hanging around everywhere around people's neck because Because in the time of Jesus, in the time of these disciples, the cross actually meant something very, very different for the cross was an instrument of execution saved only for the worst types of criminals. And so when Jesus' followers hear him calling them to take up your cross, they didn't, they couldn't take it lightly. And so when we hear it now, we cannot take this command lightly. What Jesus says here is this, do you want to be my disciple? Do you want to follow me? Then pick up your cross and follow me. And you see, often we think that taking up my cross simply means any kind of trial or hardship that you face. Maybe it's that one annoying coworker, or maybe it's that one in-law that you just can't stand. That is my cross, we often say. I have to bear it. However, I don't think that this is what Jesus means when he refers to this, when he says to take up your cross. It's not merely a difficulty or a trial, but rather the cross meant something much more different. More than just simply a difficulty or trial, I think the cross. And I think what Jesus is trying to point us to here is that the cross stood for three things. It stood for shame, it stood for suffering, and it ultimately stood for death. You see, there would be shame. The cross represented shame because when a criminal is crucified, they would carry the cross for miles and miles through streets of people as they hurled insults, as they threw things at you, as they spit on you. And then they would strip you of all your clothes and hang you on the cross. See, the cross was a place of disgrace and humiliation and utter shame. And secondly, the cross also represented great suffering. Because the cross was specifically designed for the criminal to experience prolonged pain. So the cross was a slow, Long and painful suffering. And lastly, the cross meant, ultimately, it meant death. The cross was not meant as simply just a torture device where they'd hang you up and then once you learned your lesson after a few hours, they'd take you down and then they'll bring you, they'd bring you back to jail. The sole purpose of the cross was to kill the criminal. See, once they hung you on the cross, that meant the end of your life, for your fate was ultimately sealed. And so when Jesus tells you, when Jesus tells his followers to take up your cross, he's warning. It's a warning that when you choose to follow him, these are the things that you can expect. When you truly follow Christ as his disciple, when you give your life to him, you will experience much, much shame and you will experience much suffering. Perhaps you've experienced this with your friends, your family, maybe even your coworkers. Maybe you have experienced the people around you calling you foolish or that you're crazy for believing something that some, some crazy man or some book that was written thousands of years ago. I mean, just scroll through any social media today, and I'm sure you can find one person making a mockery of the Christian faith. But not only will you experience shame and suffering, but you will also experience death. And there are indeed places all around the world today where people are being killed for their beliefs and they are being persecuted for their beliefs. But I would probably say that for 99% of us here, that is not going to happen. I don't think anyone is coming after your life right now in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania for being a Christian. But you see, you still must experience, though it may not be a physical death, you must experience a different kind of death that Jesus calls you to, for you must continuously die to yourself and live unto Christ. This is why in Galatians 2.20, the apostle Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And so in order to follow him, you must die to yourself. You may not face a physical death, but Jesus is saying, you cannot follow me and also hold on to your life. And so taking up the cross means you pattern your life in sacrifice and dying to self. It's a call to die to yourself and to live for Christ. The great, Preacher Charles Spurgeon says it like this, you cannot be Christ's servant if you are not willing to follow him, cross and all. What do you crave, a crown? Then it must be a crown of thorns if you are to be like him. Do you want to be lifted up? So you shall, but it will be upon a cross. And so dear friends, I ask you, are you willing to endure these things for Christ's sake? Are you willing to experience shame, to experience suffering, and to experience death even, to follow him. Will you take up your cross? For that is the second requirement that Jesus calls his followers to. And lastly, the third requirement that Jesus gives is is, is fairly a simple one. He says, follow me. In other words, and you might be saying, that's fairly obvious, no? No. Followers and disciples of Jesus must follow him. It seems like a very simple and obvious command, but I I think it requires much from us. When you're driving without a GPS, perhaps um, that's hard for some of us to imagine nowadays with, with phones, but when you're driving without a GPS or someone, and someone tells you just follow me, it's one of the most stressful experiences ever because you have to focus so specifically on that person's car that you're trying to follow. So you, and you have to concentrate so hard that you don't lose track of him because as soon as you lose track of him, maybe you get caught at a red light. Maybe you get caught in a stop sign. You have lost your way. You may need to make a phone call. You may need to open your phone, but you see, it's a very difficult task, but often following that person is the only way you can make it to your final destination. And so in the same way, when Jesus says to us, follow me, he's demanding and he's commanding us to have a singular focus. And he commands that you follow wherever he leads. And so wherever he wants you to go, you will go. Whatever he calls you to give, you will give no matter the cost. And you see, it's not just a matter of deciding to follow him once or when you feel like it. This phrase that Jesus uses here, follow me, if you look at the original, it suggests a continuous and an ongoing action. It's not just a one-time thing. Jesus calls his followers. Jesus calls you and me to be constant and consistent followers. Many Christians today think that all you have to do to be a disciple of Christ is to join a church, come to worship every once in a while, perhaps give, make an offering, and that's that. You see, those things are important in the life of a Christian. You see, some people will say they follow and follow on Sunday but take a different path the very next day. Some people will follow Jesus when they need help but take another path when things get better. But this is not what Jesus is commanding from his followers and it's not this is not what he's commanding from you. For Jesus is calling his people to make a radical commitment to follow him every single step of the way. And so I ask you, dear friends, will you follow Jesus? Will you focus so singularly on him and what God calls you to do and where he calls you to be? That is the third requirement the third commandment for the follower of Jesus. He says, follow me. And by this point, maybe it happened at the beginning of the sermon, you may be asking, why? All of these things sound so difficult. It it requires so much from me. Why do I need to follow Jesus? What motivation do I have to follow him if it's such a radical thing to do? Verse 35 in our passage says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Here, Jesus offers us the motive, the ultimate motivation, which moves us to follow him simply stated, yes, the the cost of following Jesus, the cost of discipleship is so great, but the cost of not following him, dear friends is that much greater. Jesus offers a simple but clear warning. If you pursue the things of this life, and if you live life devoted to the pursuit of the things of this world, and you gain all the world, but God is falling out of the picture and he is being neglected, then ultimately you will lose something far greater along the way, for you will forfeit your soul. But if you follow Jesus, when you look at your life outwardly, when the world looks at you, it may look like you are losing your life. It may look like you are losing everything. It may look like you are giving up the worldly standards of a good life. But in reality, Jesus tells us, you are gaining your life. For if you follow him and you lose your life for his sake and the gospels, You are indeed saving your life. See, what I'm arguing, what I'm saying here is not that, what Jesus is saying here is not that gaining the world and all of its successes and the enjoyment of the world, like prestige, wealth, and luxury, they are not always bad things. I don't think that Jesus is calling us to sell all the things of the world that you have, give up all your worldly treasures and Go become monks for the rest of your life. Now, I think what Jesus is warning here, it's about pursuing these treasures. It's not about possessing the treasures, but it's about pursuing these treasures at the cost of your soul for the things of this world are, but temporary, but the things of your soul are eternal. And so dear friends, I ask you again, will you save your life for the material and temporary things of this life? Will you follow the world, or will you lose your life for Jesus' sake and count the cost of following him and save your life along the way? But you see, there is something more. See, if we were just left at that, I think it would be impossible for all of us to live lives that look like this. But Jesus in his great mercy and in his great love has not left us to our own devices to try and to figure out a way to best follow him. He hasn't given us this command, these commands to follow him, to be his disciples and, and given us these radical calls and then just leave us to attempt to figure things out on our own. Yes, indeed. The cost of following Jesus is great and often Often following him seems like a momentous task. But the good news is that he does not simply call you to blindly follow him. For this is indeed good news, friends. Follow Jesus because he has gone first and paid the great cost for your soul first so that we can follow him. See, oftentimes we got it so backwards where we think we have to follow him first in order to be saved. We don't follow Jesus because he is a great moral teacher or because we you suddenly want to be enlightened, but you follow him regardless of the cost because he has first paid the great cost so that you can follow him. You see, these great requirements, these three great and radical requirements. The great costs that we've been looking at this morning to deny yourself, to take up the cross and to follow have already been experienced perfectly by Christ himself. You see, Jesus denied himself and in the garden, he said, not my will, but yours be done. He relinquished all control of his life to the will of the father so that we would follow him. We could follow him. Jesus took up his cross experienced shame upon that cross. He experienced unspeakable suffering upon that cross and he experienced death all so that you could follow him. And so Jesus says this to you, dear friend, count the cost and follow me for I have already gone upon the road marked with suffering, with ultimate suffering. And the highest cost has already been paid for your sake. I have counted the cost for your life and I've borne the cross so that you can follow me. But you see, when Jesus took up the cross and he surrendered his will to the father, what he did was he took the cross and he turned it, into a hopeful message, into a great message of hope. For he took the cross, what was the symbol of death and shame and suffering, and he turned it into a symbol of life when in three days he defeated death and the grave was empty. What was supposed to be an instrument of death, Jesus used to give you new life. For he had the final word. And so when Jesus invites you to deny yourself and to take up your cross, what he's actually saying, he's not saying choose death, although it may seem like it. What he's saying is choose the life that I am giving you. He's not inviting us to death, but he's inviting you to a life that's more incredible and more eternal than you could ever imagine that you could ever hope for. And, dear friends, that is the invitation of Jesus to his followers that whatever shame, whatever suffering, whatever death that you experience today, tomorrow, or the next day, that, dear friends, is not the end of your story, for the end of your story is hope. The end of your story is love and grace and peace and intimate relationship with God. And the only way we can ensure that is through a relationship with Christ and choosing to follow him with your whole life. This Jesus who denied himself and took up the cross and died on it for you and for me. And so, yes, we must count the cost in order to be a disciple. We must be willing to take on the great cost of following Jesus. But at the end of it all, having Christ means gain. Like the apostle Paul says in Philippians 3:8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The gospel is good news, but it is never an easy message to live. Followers and disciples of Christ, we cannot expect better treatment in the world than Christ himself received. You see, that's the reality of believing in this good news of Christ Jesus. And it requires dying to self in order to live in obedience to him. And so dear friends, brothers and sisters, as we close, I ask you, Again, will you follow Jesus? Will you commit your lives to him? Will you take up your cross and follow wherever he leads you? Even if it means leading you to death. You see, the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus is indeed great. And it is greater than we could ever imagine. But surely, Surely the cost that we incur here on this earth will all be worth it when we see him in eternal glory and we sing with the saints and the angels around the throne, holy, holy, holy. Would you pray with me now? Father in heaven, we thank you that, You have called us to be your disciples. You have called us to be your followers. And you have clearly laid it out out for us what that will look like. But oh God, you did not leave us without hope. You did not leave us to be on our own, to figure things out. But oh God, you have sent your son to go forth on our behalf to live the life we could never live and to die the death that we deserve, all so that we can be reconciled to you and all so that we could follow you. And so, Lord, we pray that though this call to be your followers, though this call to be your disciples is great and it's radical, oh, Lord, help us to fix our eyes upon Christ Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, And that we would look to him and that we would count the cost and that we would bear the cost. But we would do so eagerly and willingly as we eagerly anticipate and wait to be with you in eternity. And so, Lord, we thank you for your your gospel. We thank you that you have saved sinners like us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.